0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, I would be delighted to have you. We must turn our attention abroad. I am... Have and, and please, this is one of those times where you need to just listen to everything I say and actually listen to me as opposed to hearing me say what you think I said, which happens sometimes in these matters. We must talk about Ukraine. I understand the concerns some people have that we are throwing a lot of money at Ukraine. I actually don't think we're spending enough. But that's another subject. A lot of people are like, ah, I can't believe we're spending this much money. And now my concern is that Congress doesn't seem to be all that involved with it. And I do have a legitimate concern. And I know others do as well. But I, I wrote about this this morning in my daily email. And some people were like, I, we, we can't. America is literally falling apart. Why are we spending money there? Well, America is always literally falling apart. We've we've had problems in this country forever uh, that doesn't mean we can't multitask and, and screw up other places as well with our money <laughs> or fight the Russians. I mean the, the, this – it's – I don't know what it is that it's – and I am i don't want to be critical of people because I understand the concern that we have so many problems at home. Why are we dealing with this? And And here is my explanation. We are preempting it preventing it from festering into a problem we will really have to deal with later if the russians move beyond ukraine into nato territories and they have agitated about moving into the baltic republics latvia lithuania and estonia some of the biggest pro America, countries in Europe are the Eastern European countries. Many of them built statues to Ronald Reagan, including Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Poland, uh, the Czech Republic. They've all got statues of Ronald Reagan. They credit him with the collapse of the Iron Curtain. When I was a kid, I grew up in Dubai, and you couldn't get to Eastern Europe. Couldn't get to Israel either. It was actually easier to get behind the Iron Curtain to tour Eastern European countries than it was ever to get to Israel, which you could not flat out do. Eastern Europe was hard. And if you went and you took pictures, the back in the day, okay, when I was a child, boys and girls, there were no digital cameras. You used this thing called film. You had to open up the back of a camera very quickly, put the camera film in tuck it underneath the little spool close the door and then roll it in because you couldn't expose it to light if you exposed the film to light you ruined it and so you take all the pictures and you'd have maybe 30 pictures that you could take on a little camera every time you click it open the shutter it was a film camera it clicked you got a little light in most of them were automatic cameras that tried to figure out the light. You had uh, high ISO film if you were inside, or, and it was a little darker. You had low ISO film if you were outside. You had to know the difference, or you could find a balance to try to do an all-purpose film, which wasn't quite as good. That's why so many pictures sucked if you weren't a professional photographer. And then when you were done, you literally had a little reel that popped up. Like, hey, you roll, 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 roll. Had to get all the film back into the little camera roll. And then you deposited it in what you kids today call drug containers. Back then it was film containers. And you take it off to a store that would develop your pictures. And you had to wait. There was no instant gratification. And if you exposed the film to light, you ruined it. There were these things called dark rooms. They were not rooms of deviancy. They were rooms where you actually got your film developed, there would be a red light bulb, not for prostitutes, but for film. And then digital cameras came about, and Kodak kind of laughed it off and said it was no big deal, and well, where's Kodak these days? But also, if you pass them through an x-ray machine, the x-ray machine could ruin the film. In Western countries, they tended to set the x-ray machine so that it did not ruin your film. But in communist countries in the Eastern Bloc, they would purposefully set the X-ray scanner that your bags pass through airports to be more radioactive and destroy your film. So you could not get pictures out of Soviet Bloc countries of the deteriorating conditions. I had more than one friend who would go to these Soviet Bloc countries, take pictures as a tourist, come home and see their film ruined by the X-ray scanners. The Soviet Union never really went away. Its statues came down and its flag was placed on the ash heap of history. But many of those communist leaders now inhabit the realm of Vladimir Putin. He is not our friend. He is our enemy. I don't care that George Bush looked into his eyes and saw his soul. Vladimir Putin was doing a KGB job on George W. Bush, talking about how he was raised a closet Christian in a communist nation and had the cross of his grandmother and all that stuff. Vladimir Putin is a would-be Soviet dictator who resents the fall of the Soviet Union and blames the United States. If you do not take care of him and his global ambitions in Ukraine, you will take care of him later. There is a coming Russian-Chinese axis of evil with the Iranians and a few others. If we don't fight him in Ukraine, we will be fighting him in Poland and the Baltics and Eastern Europe. We've already been fighting him in Syria, and both the Obama and Trump administration largely surrendered the battleground to the Russians. Every time we faced them directly in Syria through their Wagner mercenary operation, we won. So they invaded Ukraine, and we've been sending Ukraine arms. We haven't per se been sending Ukraine arms. This is important for you to understand. One of the reasons the president can spend the money he's spending is because he's actually upgrading uh, Eastern Bloc NATO allies to American equipment, and they're sending their former Soviet equipment to the Ukrainians, and the Ukrainians are familiar with it. But there are some American um, implements they're doing, like the uh, HIMARS and others uh, rocket, mobile rocket systems. And it turns out the systems we developed to deploy against the Soviets, in theory— Are in reality as good or better than we hoped. We're testing on the ground in Ukraine systems that we built in theory to combat the Russians and now the Chinese and they're working really, really well. They're working well enough that our intelligence suggests the Chinese are having second thoughts about a rushed invasion of Taiwan. I understand the concerns of people who think or things are bad here, why are we helping them? We've always done this. And there are too many people, I'm afraid, on the right right now and on the left who define themselves and their core convictions, not based on real deeply held principle, but whatever the other side likes must be bad. There are a, there's a large segment of the new right, the post-Trump right, who would fall over dead tomorrow if Joe Biden came out today and said, oxygen is good, you should breathe. If Joe Biden came out today and said oxygen is good, you should breathe, a good portion of the post-Trump new right would hold their breath and fall over dead lest they dare to inhale oxygen. And the same is true on the left, by the way. If Ron DeSantis came out and did the same thing, there's a portion of the progressive left that would fall over dead. Be like Thanos snapping his finger if they both did it together. Uh, Biden and, and DeSantis come out and declare oxygen good, you should breathe. Half of each side would fall over dead. They, people are defining themselves. If one side likes X, the other side doesn't like Y, they like negative X. And so if Joe Biden comes out and supports Ukraine, well then obviously Republicans you gotta hate Ukraine and be with Russia. Actually, we should be with Ukraine. We should be with Ukraine because Russia's not our Russia you know, Russia's not our friend and Ukraine is not our enemy. Ukraine is more and more our ally, the largest country in Europe. It may be corrupt. Every country in Europe has some level of corruption. Ours does, too. It's not a perfect nation. But it's a nation that was invaded by the Russians. And if they set up their base of operations there, they'll control much of the world's grain in addition to much of the world's oil supply. They will use it and weaponize it against Europe and the rest of the world. And they will spread from Ukraine. They will be emboldened to slowly rebuild the Soviet sphere of influence. And if we don't stand up to them, other nations will see our unwillingness to stand up in Ukraine, and those nations will start looking around for someone else who's better able to take care of them, and that might be Russia and China. And one day, war will come. And better for us to stand with Ukraine now and minimize the Russians than have war come later where they've been emboldened and empowered and grown, you know, many of the very same people who are upset with the government funding Ukraine are also upset with the Obama administration degrading our ability to fight two wars at once. A lot of people don't realize this, but if you listen to this show, you're a smart person. And so you know that in 2011, when the Obama administration went through the the decennial review of the military— One of the things they did is they decided that we should no longer be able to fight and win two wars at one time. Since World War II, American military might has been premised on the fact that we should be able to fight two major world wars on a Pacific and an Atlantic front at the same time and win both. And the Obama administration decided that was naïve that we were moving on to fighting terrorism, we wouldn't have these global wars again against major superpowers. We, after all, were the superpower, and if we weren't, the world was better off anyway without us being the superpower. We should instead be able to fight one major world war on one front and just maintain parity of the other until we fight the first one, win, and then we can go fight the second one, dangerously naive, but that's what they did. And, and this is one reason we're having to engage the Russians now is because of this stupid Obama decision back in 2011 that we shouldn't be able to fight two world war fronts at the same time and win both. And so we got to have the Russians weakened now before the war with China comes. Because war with China will come on our terms or theirs. They will be with the Russians or without the Russians. And what we're doing in Ukraine now helps make sure the Russians aren't a threat in the future. But just because Biden's for it doesn't mean you should be against it. We should all be supporting the Ukrainians. I get the concerns with the money. I get the concerns with the spending. My personal concern with the money and spending is we're not spending more and doing more, giving them more weapon systems to wipe the Russians out. But with what we're doing, the Russians are now in retreat in eastern Ukraine. Izium, in Ukraine's east Is within 15 miles of the Russian border. It has fallen. A lightning fast Ukrainian offensive in the Northeast has reshaped the war. The Russians are dropping their guns and running. In the South, they've dug in, and the Ukrainians are having a harder time getting rid of them. But they've been able to expand the battlefield where the Russians thought they could double down and lock in their gains, and they're not able to anymore. The Ukrainians have a counteroffensive against the Russians right now. They're pushing them out of parts of Crimea. They're pushing them out of parts of the Donbas region. They're pushing them back towards Russia and beyond. Uh, As we've been on air here today, a massive explosion outside Moscow at an armory depot has occurred. Shook the ground registered on the Richter scale. Massive fire. The Ukrainians are not willing to give up their territory to the Russians. And I appreciate this country's willingness to help the Ukrainians. I realize there are hard times at home, but every time this country has become isolationist, every time this country has fixated inward and ignored the rest of the world, bad things have happened in the world, and the United States has had to stand tall again. I would rather us not sit back down this time, because every time we do, many Americans die just for our ability to stand back up on the world stage. So stay standing, America. Stay strong. And stay with the Ukrainians. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. If your business is growing, buying a and building, building, and building, getting a franchise, expanding a franchise, reach out to them. See if they can help you. First LibertyGA.com. First LibertyGA.com. We're only doing uh, big deals like $750,000 and up. They, not me, but check them out. First LibertyGA.com. Now, we must move. other things, including guns. Have y'all heard about this? Uh, Visa is now going to flag gun purchases. So don't use your Visa card at a gun store. If you don't want it flagged in a registry that you've purchased a gun there, I don't really care. So I may use it, but a cash is always preferable when buying a gun anyway, because the temptation is just to buy a bunch of them on a credit card. But what's going on here is that every town uh, for gun safety and other groups have been pressuring credit card companies to essentially flag gun stores. It's only a matter of time before they decide not to do business with gun stores. The federal government can't build a gun registry, but they're trying. Visa wants in on the action uh, to essentially uh, invade your privacy about your purchases They would never do it if you paid for an abortion on a credit card. But they want to go after gun manufacturers, and they want to go after gun stores. There are more and more banks that are being pressured by the ESG crowd to stop doing business with gun manufacturers and gun stores. Ron DeSantis gave a speech over the weekend. There's a... a, uh, conference National Conservatism or something like that. I, I I still have a hard time understanding exactly what it is. But one of the things that DeSantis said is that a private corporation, a, 501, uh, a, a Fortune 500 private corporation, isn't really private anymore when it starts doing the bidding of government. And a lot of people are like, oh, I can't believe he would say that. I thought he was a free market conservative. Well, he is, but he's got a point. If your business is a proxy for the government, then you should be prohibited from doing things government can't do. Take Twitter, for example. We now know from release documents through a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act request, a FOIA request, that Twitter, and to some degree Facebook, have been complicit in helping the federal government by turning people off their accounts, censoring them, Deleting things that were considered misinformation? Twitter especially collaborated with the Biden administration to silence the Biden administration's critics over COVID policy. If that's the case, if that's the case, then why is Twitter acting as a proxy for the federal government? Why is Twitter not regulated? You say they're a private business, but they're a private business that is doing the bidding of the federal government should not the First Amendment that apply to them. Uh, You say no, but you need to make your case and you need to make an intellectually honest case because Twitter is becoming kind of the town square of the American public. Everybody's got a Twitter account. Every company has a Twitter account. It's where people go to discuss. And when the government is telling Twitter to silence certain people over their views, well, the government is acting through Twitter. Therefore, Twitter should have some – stake in the First Amendment game. That's the point DeSantis is getting at. He's not giving up his core convictions. He's recognizing that increasingly progressives in government have hijacked private businesses to do the bidding of progressives in government. And if a private business is doing the bidding of the government, the private business should be treated as if they're an agency of the government. The easiest way for companies to not have to deal with this is just don't do the bidding of progressives in government or conservatives for that matter. Just do your core purpose, make a profit, and enjoy life, which is what they should be doing and they're not. And if Visa wants to regulate guns in this country, well, then Visa is going to have hell to pay. They deserve to have hell to pay if that's what they're going to do. Acting as an agency for progressives who can't otherwise get their way in government is not a good thing for Visa, and Republicans are about to take back Congress, and there will be hell to pay. Hello there. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Before I go on to other topics, let's get Steve in here. Steve, welcome to The Eric Erickson Show. How are you? I'm doing good, Eric. How you doing? Great. What's going on? Uh, well, you just uh, kind of sparked some... Uh... Some anger, I guess, from you know, way back when Trump got kicked off of Twitter and you know Facebook and all that stuff were, you know, doing all their keeping people able to speak. Right. But uh, I I was thinking that you know, I think uh, Justice Thomas uh, mentioned this too, that to make them into uh, utilities, you know, just like if you were with Verizon and. They find out you're a Republican. They don't get to turn off their phone, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah um, uh, so, you know, this is it's a somewhat difficult task because uh, are they a public is, is Twitter, for example, is Twitter a public utility? Well, it doesn't meet the definition of a public utility. Is Twitter than an, an arm of the of the federal government. Well, you can say it is in its regulation of speech, but it's a publicly held company, pri- uh, publicly tra- privately held company, publicly traded on the stock exchange with shareholders, so it doesn't really fit the bill. It, it, is it something new? And maybe it is something new and therefore requires right. some level of regulation. My concern is that a lot of people on our side are going to jump off the deep end, uh, deep end over uh, Section 230. Now here, let me explain to you what Section 230 is if y'all don't know. There are actually a number of people on the right who claim to want to get rid of it. It's a terrible idea to get rid of it. And here's why. Uh, Section 230 is the provision that says internet companies are publishers of other people's content and cannot be held liable for those people's content. So for example, if you go on uh, the New York Times website and it has a comment section, you can put in uh, John Doe is a kid toucher. I saw him molesting someone at the YMCA pool the other day. And the New York Times can't be sued for you Putting, for someone putting that comment up. Now, the New York Times can be subpoenaed and asked for the IP address and information trying to figure out who put the comment up. But the New York Times can't be sued because they're not considered the publisher of the content. They can only be sued for their own content. So this allows sites like Facebook and Twitter to exist. This allows comment sections on the internet to exist. Awful things that they are. Twitter and Facebook could not exist if you gave up er, Section 230. They couldn't exist because they could be held liable for anyone coming on the website and putting anything defamatory up about anyone else. Unless the Supreme Court says otherwise, which they might not, because Section 230 had to be added to clear up some prior issues. Now, you're thinking, okay, this is a good idea. This will shut down Twitter and Facebook. Social media is garbage. Okay. But I'm on a forum for Rectech grill owners. Rectech is my pellet grill of choice. It's a smoker. I use it for smoking. I don't really use it for grilling. I could, but I don't. I've got a big, big, fancy professional grill that I use for that. But Rectech is its a pellet smoker, like a Traeger. It's better than a Traeger. It's better built. It's uh, While all of them are, have their parts manufactured in China, Traeger's put together there, Rectech's put together here, but Rectech's whole electronics computer system is made in the USA, holds up better, more durable, great customer service. My gosh, they have great customer service. And they also have internet forums where people can can trade tips, if, troubleshoot questions that, that couldn't exist if Section 230 goes away. Because if I went there and said I was talking to uh, Joe Blow from Smokey who works for Rectech and they did this defamatory thing to me and it's not true, well, then uh, they could – that person could sue Rectech. So their forum on the internet couldn't exist. Your Your favorite forum on the internet couldn't exist. If Section two thirty goes away, it's not just social media; it's all aspects of the communal portion of the internet would go away. And you may like that, but overall, I think most people think that's a bad idea. I go on the internet to get information and find answers. If someone won't be able to put up a YouTube video to tell me how to how to level my door. Because YouTube would need to shut down because if anyone put defamatory comments on YouTube about anything, well, YouTube would have to be shut down because YouTube could otherwise be sued if Section 230 didn't exist. Now, there are certain ways to roll it back, but a lot of people on the right are just, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. You don't want to get rid of that. Because if you get rid of it, you will get rid of the internet as we know it today. And the internet will increasingly come back to be controlled by groups you know like the New York Times, and USA Today, and the Washington Post, and CNN, where they don't really have comment sections anymore anyway. And the news all goes one way with no interaction from you or me. And you will be a voiceless person trying to gather attention. And how do you gather attention for your website? when you can't tell anyone on the internet, it exists because all the forums where you do that now disappear. It's a very dangerous game. The right is playing on this because they're angry with Twitter and and Facebook. And I agree, by the way, the anger is justified and there needs to be a remedy, but I don't think the remedy needs to be getting rid of section Two Thirty because once you've gotten rid of it, you shut it all down, including the parts that you like. That's a problem. Now, There's another problem out there. I warned you guys about this last week, and we need to get into this. The railroad strike may be coming. I don't know that it is coming. Two of 12 rail unions are still holding out. Tens of thousands, this is from Bloomberg, tens of thousands of U.S. railroad workers could be on strike by the end of the week. A potential new shock to supply chains that would pose a pre-midterm political quandary for President Biden and the Democrats. Negotiators met through the weekend trying to reach a deal with two unions covering 57,000 engineers and conductors, a tired and riled workforce that emerged from the pandemic-rattled economy. Ten other unions involved have reached tentative agreements pending ratification by members. Pressure is building from industry groups and Republicans alike for Congress to intervene, which the unions have been urging legislators not to do. Lawmakers have the authority to extend the deadline between 12.01 a.m. Eastern Time, September 16th, or impose a contract on the two sides, preventing workers from striking for a better deal. Still riding the momentum of recent legislative wins, the Biden administration can ill afford work stoppages that clog major arteries of the nation's food and energy supplies. But neither does the president want to be seen as obstructing workers trying to win more time for their private lives. All right. This is where my news analysis and opinion collide. So here's the news and analysis. The odds are that this is going to be resolved and there will be no strike. As of September 16th, the reason is because uh, the the railway companies in the country are realizing that they do have a work sufficiency and and work happiness and enjoyment of work issue with their workers. For example, I talked about this last week. I got a friend of mine who works for a major railroad company that will go nameless. He's been there for a decade. He gets 15 days off. That's 15 days for everything. That's 15 days for his mom dies and he's got a funeral. That's 15 days for he's got COVID and he's got to be out for a week. That's 15 days for family vacation. That's 15 days. He gets 15 days. He doesn't get 15 vacation days plus some sick days. He gets 15 days. He doesn't get 15 days plus additional time if a near family member dies. He gets 15 days. He makes six figures, but he only gets 15 days with zero flexibility at all. This is a quality of life issue for these workers. And the the major companies are folding, and the Biden administration is pressuring them to fold because uh, revenue has gone up because of the pandemic and shipping and so much rail-dependent traffic because ports out west are clogged, so a lot of ships are going to the east coast unloading, and a lot of it is hauled by train. But a lot of people in the railroad industry are working major overtime. They don't get compensated for overtime. They get paid a salary, and it doesn't matter how long they work. They don't get overtime, and they can't leave the job until the job is done. So they're trying to deal with issues like that. If they got to work a 60-hour week, when they're getting paid for a 40-hour week, they want to get overtime. They, they want to get vacation days. They want to get sick time. They want to get bereavement pay. They want, they want to get time off. And the railways are starting to cave. So that minimizes the risk of this. Now, this is where the partisan me comes in. I would kind of like to see the strike happen, if I'm honest, just purely partisan. Watching the Biden administration that has become super pro union get bit by the union hand would be hilarious. Did I say bit by the hand? Yeah, I did. You get my point. Biden's hand get bit by the union? It would actually be really funny to watch this happen. It would be terrible because there'd be a lot of shortages. Go stock up on your toilet paper. If you get wind of the strike happening, you better go order yourself some, some toilet paper quickly. Because a lot of that stuff travels around the country by rail, and it'll slow things down. But I just, I personally would kind of, as a partisan, I would just love to see the unions that are pro-Democrat actually remind people why Americans for so long got tired of unions. And I would love to see these guys, many of them are Republicans, many of the people who work in the railroads. They're, they vote Republican. They belong to a union that funds the Democrats, but they themselves are Republican. And I would love to see them strike and remind the Democrats that you can't take these people for granted. I would love to see them do this. They would shut down a lot of uh, the supply chain in this country by doing it. It would remind all of us how necessary trains are in this country – It would remind the Democrats that these are your friends and allies hurting you headed into the midterms. And that's kind of, I mean, I I just as a political October surprise, this would be a cool one. It's the Democratic-leading unions whose workers who vote Republican have decided to go on strike in the run-up to the general election. I mean, that would be schadenfreudalicious. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to resolve the issue. The deadline is Friday. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me if Congress stepped in as well to try to ameliorate the situation. I don't know that Congress will. I think it could be filibustered by Republicans in the Senate. I mean, I just think it would be intriguing to watch it happen. I do, but I don't think it's going to. I'll be surprised if it – actually will be surprised if it does. Uh, because the Biden administration is moving heaven and earth to make sure it doesn't, caving on core points to these people because they know it would have a terrible impact on them in the midterms, which is another reason why I just kind of think it'd be fun to watch it happen. Now, you wouldn't be able to get your Eden EdenPure thunderstorm, though, probably, because they travel by rail, I suspect, in the supply chain. And the Eden Pure, you want to get it. You want to get it, not really because it eliminates the dust and the mildew and the mold and the pollen floating in the air. You want to get it as an odor eliminator. So this weekend, I made my world-famous delicious onion rings, and it started raining outside as I was putting everything together. So like, oh, got to fry in the house. My wife was asleep, so I fried in the kitchen, and then I ran, got the Eatin' Pure Thunderstorm because, you know, fry odors, they, they can stink up the house. I ran and got the Eden beer thunderstorm, and I fired it up in the kitchen. My wife is really sick. She's got a really bad cold sinus infection. I mean, I'm kind of stopped up. She's miserable. But I made the onion rings. I did go outside in the rain and grill the burgers, then came back inside, and she was somewhat surprised. The kitchen did not smell like I had been frying french fries and onion rings, which I had been. Why? Because I used the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, and it cleans the air. It eliminates odors. Pet odors. You got litter box. You got a smelly dog. You got someone in the house who smokes. You got in a rental car where someone's been smoking something. You go to Musty Hotel Room, the Eden Pure Thunderstorm can wipe out those odors. You can get three of them right now for less than $200. All you do is go to EdenPureDeals.com, EdenPureDeals.com. You put in my discount code ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K, the number three, no space. You'll get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. You will save $200, and you get free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. Uh, Hi again, and welcome to Ken Charles, who's new to the family here uh, with me at my flagship station, WSB. He's becoming the program director. Uh, Came from out west uh, where he's been working for Odyssey, the big radio company around the country, Um, doing a lot of news and news talk. Excited to have him here now. I want to talk about the news that just won't quite go away yet, and it's not going to go away until next Monday, where pretty much the entire world will be watching a funeral, that of Queen Elizabeth II. I have paid attention to it this weekend, both the celebrity aspect of it, but more particularly the traditional aspect of it. So, If you know anything about British history, the coronations of the British monarchs and the spectacle around the British monarch were an absolute disaster after Queen Victoria died. And one of the reasons was Victoria had served for more than 50 years. Uh, Prior to Elizabeth II, the longest-serving monarch in British history was Queen Victoria. And everybody forgot what to do things weren't up to snuff before that either the transition to william the and other it just it, it was bad um was not uh, the 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 coronations of george the george II, of victoria all of them i mean the coronations themselves that they weren't full of the pomp and circumstance they as things got screwed up uh in one case the crown was put on backwards and the british monarchy and government realized that they could create spectacle. And in that spectacle, derive from that spectacle a level of mysticism. And from that spectacle and mysticism breed awe. And from that awe, preserve an archaic institution. What we are seeing with the pageantry and the heraldry of the British is the perpetuation of an institution that really doesn't need to exist and yet continues to exist and still maintains odd quirks. The king has the power to veto. Still, Queen Elizabeth only a couple of years ago vetoed legislation on a parliament. Only done now at the request of the prime minister, there was a misreading in the legislation and she vetoed it after all. When there is no prime minister, all power of government resides in the crown. He can do whatever he wants. He could suspend parliament. The last two Charleses suspended parliament, but he won't. There were lots of pledges from him to promote and, ple- and preserve liberty and democracy and lots of pledges from the people to honor the king. And it was all done with trumpets and fanfare and horses and carriages and soldiers And it really, I mean, it's a tourist attraction, but it's a tourist attraction even to the British themselves. But also for 70 years, none of us have known another crowned head of England or Scotland. And now suddenly, this woman served for 70 years quietly doing her duty. I was trying to tell my kids that the other day, that... um, Kids nowadays, I've been talking to a guy who runs a Chick-fil-A franchise. He says he gets kids to show up the first day. They complain the whole day and half of them don't show up the next day. It's really hard to get young kids to come in with a good work ethic. All you got to do is show up, don't complain. Show up on time and don't complain. Here's a woman who showed up on time every day for 70 years, never intending to have the job and did it without complaint in public and kept her mouth shut and did what she was expected to do and the whole world Except for a few woke American professors will on Monday watch her lowered into the ground out of reverence for a woman whose job was picked by God, who didn't want it, who showed up and fulfilled the job as best she possibly could.